Lord Jesus, may your name be lifted up today. May we behold your glory, Lord. Pour your spirit upon us, Lord Jesus, so that we can hear from you and be formed more into your likeness. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Please be seated. So there was uh, an airplane. Here's another one that we can hear. Uh, right as I was processing down to read the gospel, um, it was a little ominous. At the first service, it was actually one of those military planes, it felt like, that flew over right as I was reading the gospel. It was very ominous, very um, uh, building-shaking, you could say. Um, so right now, uh, we are in a season of Lent. Uh, so some of the changes that you may have noticed in our liturgy, we move the confession to the front of the service. Um, there's a, a certain A word that we refrain from saying during this season. Um, yes, uh, but this is, this is a season that you may have heard me say before of being a spiritual pilgrimage. And Lent begins in the wilderness. It's, it's very much a, a spiritually sort of wilderness kind of experience. In the same way that when you go out into the wilderness and you, you leave civilization, you kind of give up a lot of modern comforts when you do so, uh, so when we go into Lent, we fast from things. And this is supposed to reveal to us uh, the, the longings of our heart. It's supposed to help us uh, direct our desires and our affections towards Jesus Christ. But in the wilderness, strange and unexpected things happen. So today we're going to be looking at the story of Nicodemus. And you could say that Nicodemus is in a bit of a spiritual wilderness moment himself. Uh, this is a story that takes place in the night. And like the wilderness, the night can often be a time that contains strange and unexpected and, and hidden things. Our ears are more peaked in the nighttime. We pay attention to things that, that sort of stand out and surprise us. And we ask questions like, what was that? What was the meaning behind that? Why did that just happen? Where did that come from, we ask? Well, this morning, I want to go through this story with Nicodemus in three movements. And I think that this is a, a wilderness moment. We're going to move through each of these dark moments in this story. So first, let's look at Nicodemus. We're told there in verse 1 that he's a Pharisee. He's a ruler of the Jews, and not just any Pharisee. Later, Jesus actually refers to him as the teacher of Israel. And scholars aren't exactly clear on if, uh, what exactly that title might mean, um, but they are all in agreement that Nicodemus, uh, he's a person of influence. Uh, it, it's sort of like if you're in Anglican circles long enough, you, you learn about bishops and their role. It's, it's sort of like saying that Nicodemus is like a, a senior bishop among the house of bishops. Uh, or you could say, uh, if you're familiar with the academy, you could say that uh, it's like a, a senior or like a tenured uh, professor uh, uh, at a university. So he is a person of influence, Nicodemus. But at the same time, Nicodemus comes at the night. He comes in the night. It appears as if he doesn't want his association with Jesus to be seen by other people. He doesn't want his visit to be widely known. And don't forget, Jesus is a controversial, at this, a controversial figure at this time. He's hanging out with prostitutes and tax collectors and, and other people who the culture would probably deem as gross. So Jesus has a, a mixed reputation, you could say. And so someone in the community, if they were to hear that Nicodemus was visiting with him, 
they could misconstrue what that visit is about. They might think that somehow Nicodemus is in full approval of what Jesus does and what he says. They might misconstrue Nicodemus' visit as somehow validating who Jesus is, giving him a platform, giving him a voice. So some might be telling Nicodemus, it's better that you just ignore this person right now and hope that he goes away. It wouldn't surprise me if some of you, if you can remember maybe the first time you came to restoration and you might have felt a little bit like Nicodemus. Ugh, I hope I don't see anyone who I know there. <laughs> oh, what would my friends and family do if they were to know that I was at this Anglican whatever church or something? You know, maybe you would go out of your way to make sure that people around you know that you're not totally on board with what's going on at this sort of place. That's sort of the posture that Nicodemus has in this moment. He's, he's sitting before Jesus, but he's a little squirmy about it, you could say. He knows that his association with Jesus could have an impact on his reputation. Now, my point in all of this is that Nicodemus is a complicated figure, right? Now, we like to read Bible stories and we like to think of characters as either black or white, good or bad, you know, but Nicodemus fits in this he doesn't fit in either of those categories. He's kind of standing in the grayness of life. Yes, he is a teacher. He knows the scriptures. Uh, he's a master of wisdom. He's well-respected in the community. But when it comes to throwing his lot in with Jesus, he's hesitant. And he's slightly embarrassed, actually, uh, that he might be seen with him. So my point in all of this is Nicodemus is a messy person. Like some of you, like me. There's grayness to his life. Well, that's the first movement. Let's move on to the second. So, Jesus is approached and asked about his connection with God. And so, Jesus replies by talking about the kingdom of God. And in a way, Jesus' response is both cryptic and gracious. You know, it's gracious because Jesus isn't just smacking Nicodemus over the head and just telling him blatantly, this is who I am, follow me. No, he's kind of holding these teachings out, or he's giving this teaching out in a way to where Nicodemus can kind of decide for himself whether or not he's going to go along with this. Jesus isn't forcing Nicodemus into a position. And so in verse 3, Jesus says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, by reading this, uh, if, if you're of a certain generation, you hear that phrase, born again, and you might be thinking of a political movement or kind of an era of American history. That's, that's not what Jesus is talking about. There's good things that came from that, uh, but I'm going to try to ask us to keep our imaginations within the context of this passage here. Born again is actually a tricky phrase to translate. Did you know that? Not the born part, but the other word that's there. One meaning is the way that it's translated. This, this Greek word uh, can mean to repeat something. It, it can mean to do something again, which is the translation that we see here in our text and the translation that most of the world is familiar with because this is such a famous passage. But in the Greek, that word can also mean from above. That's its second meaning. And so you can kind of understand why, as people who are uh, Greek speakers, why Nicodemus would be confused by this phrase, because Nicodemus hears born again. But I think the way in which this conversation unfolds, you could also make a pretty strong case for Jesus meaning 
born from above, because that's what he's talking about throughout this passage. So which is it? Well, Nicodemus is confused by this. Um, Well, like I said, Jesus, he's essentially saying here, in order to see the kingdom of heaven, one must be born from heaven. And so then Nicodemus voices his confusion, and uh, he's speaking, Nicodemus is speaking as someone who's speaking from a wilderness sort of state. It's like his heart is sort of um, mystified right now. It's as if he's moving in the shadows right now. He's not quite clear on things. He says, what are you talking about? And Jesus answers him with kind of a twofold answer. It's a scriptural answer, but then also it's like a meteorological answer. So first, the scriptural answer. Jesus says, well, to enter the kingdom, one must be born of water and spirit. It's a scriptural reference. But then he talks about the wind. He talks about the wind as something that has an unknown source to it, but clearly has an impact on the world. It has earthly effects to it. It, It's got an unknown, mysterious source, but it has earthly effects to it. And Jesus' point here is like, it's as if he's saying, hey, Nicodemus, these are Bible 101 ideas. Like, why aren't you tracking with me, Nicodemus? Let's pause that for a second. So historically, uh, among sacramental, traditional, um, historical churches, uh, the pinnacle of the church calendar is the Easter vigil event. Um, The Jews, the way that they uh, count their days is a new day begins on evening. Uh, So that day of resurrection begins as soon as the sun sets on Saturday. And so here at Restoration, what that means is we, we hold this vigil event, and it's like a three-hour-long church service. It's great. It's exciting. Uh, there's smells and bells and all sorts of things that are associated with this. Yeah, you've been there. <laughs> Please do come. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to entice you. <laughs> Please do come. Um, but one of the readings uh, of the evening comes from the prophet Ezekiel, and the Lord speaks through Ezekiel saying this, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all of your uncleannesses, and from your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you. I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your ancestors. You shall be my people, and I will be your God." And then after that passage comes a very famous one, the story of the valley of the dry bones. Do you remember that vision? It's when Ezekiel is standing in front of a valley of dry bones, and the Spirit of God comes and hovers over the bones. And it's like a new, an act of new creation in that moment. As the Spirit hovers, the bones, they get organs and muscles and skin upon them. And then all of a sudden, these enfleshed bones stand up and they speak. This is an incredible moment in the Old Testament. And just as it's familiar to those of us who've been a part of the church for a while, it would have been familiar to Nicodemus. This is not an obscure passage. This should have been on the tip of his imagination. It's, it's one of the prophets. It's, it's one of the major prophets. It's Ezekiel. So why doesn't Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, Why doesn't he remember this passage when he's talking to Jesus? Spirit-infused water cleanses the soul and causes new birth. 
And this comes from an abundance of the infinite eternal love of God the Father. And He loves us as we meditate on these truths. We, we understand we, that, that God loves us more than we will ever be able to understand. Spirit-infused water cleanses the soul and gives new life. So what's the third movement? What happens next in this passage? Well, Jesus looks at Nicodemus and he says, oh my gosh, you are so thick-skulled, you are a bozo, I'm tired of listening to you, get out of here. No, of course not. Like, of course he doesn't say that. In fact, quite the opposite. Here you have Nicodemus in this wilderness moment, in this confusion, in this sort of like dark night of the soul sort of moment, literally in the dark, and Jesus offers to him one of the most treasured pearls in all of the New Testament. He gives him this beautiful teaching on what the gospel is. He meets him in that moment. He doesn't shame him. He meets him in this moment. He gives this beautiful pearl of wisdom and of love. In verse 14, Jesus says, the Son of Man must be lifted up. That is a bizarre phrase, the Son of Man. It's a tricky one to kind of nail down. Throughout the Old Testament, and even in, in the, the other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, they, uh, the Old Testament and the other gospel writers use that term, the Son of Man, to refer to something very far in the future. They, they refer to the Messiah who will come, and he will usher in this new era in which evil and sin and darkness will be vanquished from the cosmos forever. And then his new royal reign will begin a reign in which all the nations are at peace with one another, in which we ourselves are fully at peace with God, that there's harmony that's been established over the, entire, uh, over the entire world. But what Jesus is saying here is that he is the Son of Man. Well, that is so confusing because the Son of Man is not something that we're supposed to see until the future. But what Jesus is saying is that in him, God is stepping back into history He's entering the here and the now, and he's saying the kingdom is here. It's right in front of you. You can see me. You can touch me. The Son of Man, the new kingdom, the heavenlies are here. In Jesus, that future reality enters the here and now. In Jesus, we get to witness God's justice and his peace. In Jesus, heaven and earth meet. In Jesus, we get to experience the life of God. So there's this wilderness moment in the Old Testament. The people have just been uh, rescued from Egypt. They're wandering around in the wilderness. God is providing for them. He's leading them. But the people grumble before the Lord. And this makes him angry. And the people are cursed in that moment. And Moses goes before the Lord. And he's like, what am I supposed to do in the midst of all of this? And God gives him some instruction. God says, I want you to construct this the serpent made out of bronze, and I want you to lift it high on a stick. And all of those who are cursed, when they gaze upon that serpent, when they, when they look at it longing for the promises of God to be fulfilled, that curse will be lifted from them. It won't bother them anymore. And Jesus is saying, I am that bronze serpent. When God lifts me up upon the cross, and all those who cast their gaze upon me, who believe in the promises of God, that they are fulfilled in me, the curse of sin and darkness will be put away. It won't plague you anymore. Jesus is saying, I am the Son of Man, and the kingdom of God begins now. 
when you believe in me, when you follow me, is what he says. And then Jesus sums it all up in that beautiful verse that we've seen at baseball games, other sporting events. Uh, it, whether or not you even call yourself a Christian, you, you probably heard those words and you're like, oh, I've heard this before. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. As we read in our Old Testament passage, God has been longing to do this for a really long time. Through Abram, he said, through you, I'm going to bless you so that you can bless the entire world, not just the Jews. The entire world will be blessed through you. God is love. And the greatest demonstration of love is laying down your life for someone. And the cross is where we see the love of God most clearly. Because at the cross is where Jesus lays down his life for us. God lays down his life for us. At the cross, Jesus humbles himself to the point of crucifixion because he loves you. Because that's the punishment that we deserve. But he entered into that. He took that upon himself. He experiences that on our behalf. God does not desire that we stay in the darkness of confusion, wandering in the wilderness forever. But he desires that all of us might enter into his life and light to see him clearly. So as I've been meditating on this passage throughout this week, uh, I've been reading this and just thinking like, I feel like I, a lot like Nicodemus in this moment. I'm not a teacher of Israel. I'm not saying that, and I hope that those of you who know me know that I'm not implying that I'm any sort of influence on whatever. Um, I am the teacher of restoration, uh, and I don't mean that as a power flex. I just mean that I have a responsibility uh, to you all, uh, ultimately to the Lord, and this carries with it both a supreme joy. I love what I do, um, but there's also quite a bit of terror that's wrapped up in this. Um, Because there's times in which I sit down with Jesus, and quite frankly, I don't know what he's talking about. Do you ever feel that way? When like you're encountering Jesus, some of you are nodding your heads, and you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) You know, maybe it's in studies as you're reading the scriptures, and you encounter a passage that you're like, what is this? Or maybe it's in, uh, in, as you serve other people or as you try to do excellent work uh, in your job place. You're trying to please the Lord through your righteousness and, and your pursuit of goodness in those moments. And you're like, Jesus, are you even paying attention to this? Are you, are you listening? Are you here right now? Do you see this? Or maybe it's in your prayer life when you carry your suffering and your burdens before the Lord and And it just feels like you're still sitting in darkness and Jesus is throwing riddles at you or something. Sometimes it feels like I'm sitting in the shadows of unknowing. The ancient church would call this the cloud of unknowing. It's an ancient principle. This isn't anything new. But like Nicodemus, I feel like I'm not always tracking with what Jesus says. And that's with the stuff that I carry of my own and the stuff that you all share with me. And I carry that before the Lord, and like I said, it's, it can be challenging to track with Jesus sometimes. 
And judging from the ways in which some of you have been nodding, I don't think you need to be a pastor to feel that way. Uh, We all feel that way sometimes. So what do we do? What do we do in the light of that? I've got two ideas here. One is to keep pursuing Jesus. And this this is what Nicodemus does. In the midst of his confusion, even though his reputation is even on the line, he keeps pursuing Jesus. He doesn't open up the internet and try to figure out what the latest podcasting, uh, podcaster hosts, whatever, that's, I'm sure that's what they refer to themselves as. Uh, you know, he doesn't listen to them. He doesn't hop on social media to see what the latest trend is or reaction to this article or whatever. No, go to Jesus. When we go to those other sources, we're just going to feel all the angst and anxiety of those places. No, go to Jesus. And what does that look like? Well, some, so, like root yourselves in the body of Christ, that is his church, to come here. The, the Spirit of God is here in the same way in which the Spirit breathes into Jesus or breathes over those dry bones. He, he's here now, and he's giving us gifts of wisdom, gifts of healing, gifts of discernment. It's, it's, it's why we gather here, because we want to hear his wisdom from the Holy Scriptures as they resonate with our souls, and it's why we uh, seek him in prayer, like with the prayer ministers in back. Uh, it's why we come forward at the table and put our hands out, because we want to encounter Jesus. We want to be in his body. We want to be shaped into his likeness as we pray every single week. And when you're here... Not only do we have the benefit of the Holy Spirit, there's so many spiritual mothers and fathers who are here. So many of you who've seen some stuff in your day. And some younger folks who might be a bit more confused about the way that the world is. So I would encourage all of us to seek out relationships with one another. Take that initiative. Ask folks out to coffee. It's not weird. Please do that. You know, Um, There's so much wisdom sitting in the room right now. Seek out those spiritual relationships, places where you can share your questions and where you can listen to sage wisdom and and together seek the will of the Holy Spirit. But also one of the ways in which we pursue Jesus is by rooting ourselves in the Bible because that's the word of Jesus. That's where he speaks to us quite clearly. So I wonder if maybe for the rest of Lent, we've got, what, four weeks left? Maybe you can read through the Gospel of John every week. Just, it's 21 chapters long. Read three chapters a day and just meditate on it. Read these stories. The Gospel of John is full of stories like Nicodemus. So if you were to read the chapter after, after this, it's one of my favorites. It's when Jesus sits down with the woman at the well. She herself, it's, it takes place in noon, but it might as well be as black as midnight. She is in this dark moment, uh, this wilderness moment. And she, like Nicodemus, comes before Jesus and he meets her with so much grace and compassion and dignity. He honors her. It's such a beautiful story. So that's my advertisement for the Gospel of John. (laughs) So keep pursuing Jesus, both in the body of Christ, his church, but also in the word of Christ, his Bible. So what's a, a second category of how we can address this? Meet Jesus at the cross. That's what Lent is all about. It's a spiritual pilgrimage to the cross. So cast your gaze upon the cross. Contemplate the deep mysteries of the grace of God and the love of God there at the cross. So scholars suggest that one of the reasons why Nicodemus, you don't have to be a scholar to understand this. I don't know why I say that. (laughs) One of the reasons why Nicodemus doesn't quite pick up what Jesus is throwing down is because the cross hasn't yet happened. 
that he's missing that final piece of glorification. He's not seeing yet the enthronement of Jesus upon the cross, that supreme act of divine love. He hasn't yet seen the full picture. And the good news about Nicodemus is that his story isn't over here. He actually pops up a couple of more times in the Gospel of John. In chapter 7, he defends Jesus to the other Pharisees. In chapter 19, after Jesus has died, Nicodemus is the one who's helping Joseph of Arimathea bury Jesus. Like, what a tender, reputation-wrecking moment for Nicodemus. Both as a Pharisee, he's touching a dead body. I mean, you'd be unclean for doing that. But also, he's, he's touching someone who the Romans and the Jews have deemed as a, a rebel, an insurrectionist. So it's all on the line for him at that point. So in today's story, yeah, we don't know where Nicodemus stands. But by the end of it all, he's a beloved disciple of Jesus. And that's hope for us. Because that means that as we encounter the death and the resurrection of Jesus, which I hope that we have, (laughs) that we get to contemplate his glory, that we get to follow him, that we are counted among his disciples. So brothers and sisters, marvel at the cross. Marvel at the love of God that is there. Meet Jesus at the cross. And if you want that, if you haven't done that, please come talk to me. Also, after communion, there's going to be prayer ministers available in the back corner. That's why I keep looking over there, I think, because I I want us all to be seeking the Lord in prayer. Um, So if you want to know Jesus more, please go and tell those those prayer ministers back there. Because we want to introduce you to Jesus Christ, the author of abundant life, who meets us in the wilderness, who meets us in the dark moments of our soul and offers us just pearls of his grace and his love. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for not leaving us alone, but meeting us in the wilderness and showing us your beauty, Lord. I pray for this church, Lord. May we be a place where the cross is lifted high, not just literally because it's mounted really high on the wall behind me. But Lord, may this be a place where truly we contemplate the deep mysteries of the God who loves us, who loves the world so much that you spared not your only son. And that when we believe in you, Lord, we get to experience eternal life. So Jesus, please help us understand that more and more and form us more into your likeness because we want to behold your beauty and your grace and your goodness. We ask this in your name and for your glory. Amen.